Good morning and Boker Tov. Welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. Excited to jump into the third book of the Torah together, Sefer Vayikra and Parsha's Vayikra. It's great to see so many people, so many more people joining us online as well. Everyone online should be here back in person. Someone suggested we charge for watching online. It'll motivate people to come in person. But in fact, we are charging to watch online because we're still running our global campaign. So if you are not a member of the Boca Raton Synagogue and you are here right now, you should feel compelled to contribute. You're benefiting, you're enjoying, there's air conditioning, there's coffee, there's a decent rabbi giving a decent shear, decent enough that you came for, either that or you have no life at all that you're willing to come. So take out your phone, brsonline.org slash global, brsonline.org slash global. If you've not yet contributed, please be counted. It's a little postcard in every seat with a QR code. And uh, please do your part. Our partial series is generously sponsored by Becky and Avi Katz and family in memory of David Grossman, whose Yurtzeit is coming up. Ah, you'll say it was just last month. That's correct. It's in Adar. So it was last month and this month. His neshama should have an aliyah through his beautiful family, Becky and Avi, my dear friend Seth, who does so much and contributes so much to our community and to his and to others. This is the Neshama David Menachem Manashad Avinali. The Shir is also sponsored this morning by Chava Man in gratitude for the online classes, enjoying them from North Miami Beach. You could drive here, Chava Man. North Miami Beach is not that far, but it's just far enough that we'll also forgive you so you can watch online. So, Chava, thank you for your generous sponsorship. And if you're not sponsoring the actual Shir, but you should be part of helping us produce and share and distribute our Shiurim, our writing, our program. Again, our online campaign. You're making me grovel. It makes me look bad. It makes you look bad. Just do your part, please. And uh, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. Okay, Sefer Vayikra. Perak 550. Perak. Page 554 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. Vayikra Moshe Vayidaber Hashem Elav Me'ol Mo'ed Le'mor. The third book of the Torah begins with God calling Moshe. Vayikra Hashem. God calls Moshe. So the Balaturim, rather. We'll start with the Balaturim. The Balaturim writes, Aleph Shalamila Vayikra Zira. If you look in our art scroll stone Chumash, it replicates what appears in the Torah itself. The Balkore, the one getting the Aliyah, see it. That the Aleph of the word Vayikra is a miniature Aleph. It's what we call an Aleph Zira. It's a small mini Aleph. Moshe Moshe did not want it to say Vayikra. Moshe was humble, he was modest. For the Torah to declare that God called him, that would seem arrogant. Moshe would look like he was gloating, he was showing off. Look at me, you know who I am? God calls to me directly. Moshe preferred, without the Aleph, without the Aleph, the same letters, Vav, Yud, Kuf, Resh spells, Vayakar, Vayikar, which means Mikra, chance, happenstance, randomly. God randomly tripped on me. Could have called anyone. He screamed out, I was the one who answered. Kedar Shanam, it's a Bilam. And where do we see that word used? With Bilam HaRasha. With Bilam, the Torah specifically depicts as if God stumbled across Bilam. It was chance, it was happenstance, it wasn't by design. And Moshe says, let me look like Bilam. I don't have to stand out. I don't have to be special. I don't have to look like God called me. I want it without the Aleph. Let it just say Mikra. God said, nice try. That's your job to seem humble. My job is to produce a Torah. So put the Aleph in. I'm the editor-in-chief. I got the final say. Hashem says, I'm the editor, I'm the author, I'm the publisher, and we're going to do it with the Aleph. So what did they compromise? What did Moshe Rabbeinu do? He snuck in an Aleph Kitana, an Aleph Zeira. He insisted no Aleph. He wanted to look humbly like God chanced upon him. God says, I didn't chance upon you. I came to you specifically by design. Put in the Aleph. What does Moshe do? Makes Hashem happy, puts in the Aleph, but gets his way, makes it an Aleph Ketan and Aleph Zeira, which is a bizarre thing when you think about it. I mean, it sounds like an impetuous child. It sounds like something my child would do, right? Fine, they'll give in, they'll do it, but they'll still do it their way a little bit. They won't entirely do it your way. I insist you do this. They, okay, but they slip in a little bit. They have to get some victory. It's Moshe Rabbeinu. He's supposed to be humble. The whole driver and motivation for why he doesn't want the Aleph is because of his humility. And yet, despite his humility, He's insistent it has to be his way. Isn't it peculiar? Okay, you expressed your humility. You said, no, don't honor me at the dinner. Don't give me Mafter Yona. Don't give me the Aliyah. No, no, no. I said no three times. That was your job. But now we call you up for the Aliyah. So when Moshe Rabbeinu had to give in after Hashem told him, it's my call, 
Why did he still insist on the small Aleph? How is that an expression of humility? In some ways, it's an insistence of arrogance. Rashi here says that whenever God speaks to Moshe, first he calls him. Before he tells him what he's going to say, first he calls out. Why do you first call out? And say, Yochevedir, can I ask you a question? She's sitting right next to me. What do I have to call Yochevedir? She's sitting right next to me because it's an expression of affection. The Malachi Asharis, the Malachim use that expression. We repeat it in our Kedusha. Vikara Zelzeh Ve'amar. Why not just Ve'amar? Say what you gotta say, angels. You're all on the same frequency. Why Vikara Zelzeh? First you have to call before you say. The answer is it's an expression of affection. You say someone's name, you call them. Can I talk to you? Can I be frank with you? Can I say something to you? Can I ask you something? You call first as an expression of affection. When it comes to the non-Jewish prophets, when it comes to Bilam, there is no affection. There's no, Bilam, can we talk for a moment? Bilam, come over here, dear. I've got something to tell you. No, it's, Hashem happened upon Bilam. He stumbled upon Bilam. So once he chanced upon Bilam, he had a conversation. So what's going on over here? Says Rav Zedel Epstein in his Sefer Oros, which I now have the two volumes, I'd never heard of before the Pasha Shir. But then you quote people and you meet their grandchildren in the parking lot and you get their svarim. So Rezay the Lepshtin, the Mashkiach of Or Torah Or, says the following Kriya ena rak adam, makam. When you call out to someone, what you're saying is, could you come over here? You're over there, I don't want to shout. Or let's pick a rendezvous point. Let's meet at Starbucks. I want to talk to you. In Yanasha Kriya Chiba, Dvekas Va'ava. To call out to someone is a, to initiate, is to express affection, that I want a connection. So when you call out is to establish a relationship, it's to create a foundation, it's to desire to connect as opposed to chance and happenstance. Moshe Rabbeinu was the most humble person ever of all time, the most humble of all people, and yet, Humility does not mean you don't know who you are or what you are. Humility does not mean that you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less often. That's humility. Humility is not you think less of yourself, it's you think of yourself less, less often. So Moshe knows exactly who he is. He knows he's categorically different than all of the people. He knows he's unique and distinct. He knows he's exceptional. But he also knows that his worthiness does not come from himself. He knows whatever talents or skills, he knows whoever he is, is not because of him. It's on loan and it could disappear any moment. It's not part of his permanent connection. His greatness is because Hashem empowers and enables it. If Hashem wants him to lose his memory, his genius, his emotional IQ, his talents, his skills, his assets, they could be gone in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. What drove Moshe to want to omit the Aleph? Moshe said, look, it's not that I want to omit the Aleph because I'm not so great. Ach, stop saying that, I'm not so great. Moshe says, no, I know I'm great. But here's the deal with my greatness. It could disappear tomorrow. I'm only as good as my latest Russia. I'm only good as my latest leadership. I'm only as good as my latest interaction. Tomorrow I could stumble upon my words. I could develop a stutter or a stammer. Tomorrow I could be in a permanent vegetative state. Whatever gifts or talents I have could be gone tomorrow. So Moshe says, it's not that I'm in denial of who I am. I know exactly who I am. But part of knowing who I am is knowing that the wealth, physical, material, or in talent or skill is from you, and it could disappear. And that's why I don't deserve for it to say Vayikra, in the full form, in the full format. So Amalei HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ksov, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, write it anyway. Shekein be'emes nitnu l'cha dveikas v'kirel shemes baruch b'cholashon shakira b'chiba. U'v'chol zuch l'nestav l'chtov alav gadol. Shekein kol g'dulasa shamoshi davka b'akarasa she'ein zeh shalo. Katnas ha'alav zehu g'dulasa shamoshi. So it's not that Moshe defied God by writing the small aleph. God consented to the small aleph because by writing the small aleph, it captured both of their intent. Moshe says, it's true, I'm great, but my greatness only comes from you. 
And Hashem says, wow, you're right. So I still wanted to say Aleph because in the end you're great because you connect to me and you recognize me. But leave it a small Aleph in the recognition that the greatness only stems from a connection with me and it could be gone any moment. So we see from here, person has to know their greatness. It's a false humility. It's a fake humility. To pretend you're not good at something you're good at is not only a false or counterfeit humility, it's in fact offensive to God who gave you that talent and skill and wants you to realize it and utilize it to its fullest. To pretend you don't have it is just false and fake and counterfeit. But more than that, it's disrespectful because Hashem gave it to you to use. We should embrace and lean in and utilize the gifts and the talents that we have, physical, materially, in resources, in skill, but we should always leave the small aleph in our life to remember that whatever we've been given is on loan, is not part of our permanent collection. It could be gone at any moment, at any time. So what Zayd al is telling us is, in this bizarre conversation, Moshe says, leave it out, I'm not so great. Hashem says, you are great, I insist to be in. Moshe says, I'm not so great. And the evidence I'm not so great is that I'm so arrogant, I'm going to put it in olive and get it my way, God, over you. That's the question. The answer is, that's not the conversation at all that was happening. Moshe didn't say, I'm not great, don't put it in. He said, I know I'm great, God, but I'm only great because you grant it. Hashem says, true, but in the end of the day, your greatness is that you recognize I grant it, so put it in. So the two compromise and say, how can we capture that? How can we reflect both the greatness, but that the greatness only stems from connecting to Hashem? Make it a small aleph. Put it there and leave it small. So Rav Zaydel is giving an entirely new explanation or understanding of what this conversation is. I thought it's a very beautiful insight. And it's also very instructive to each and every one of us and to our children, to machanachem, to life. When we speak about humility, we have to speak about it accurately. Humility does not mean pretending you're not good at something. That's not what humility is. Humility is to recognize. And we as parents, I think one of our primary responsibilities, we're living in an age of tremendous insecurity. Just had a meeting yesterday, but it could be a meeting any day with anyone. And if we're honest, we feel it ourselves, where we have this imposter syndrome. I'll be honest with you, every week when you show up, I can't believe you're here. I'm still waiting for people to figure me out. And I'm just taking from everyone else's forum, I'm just sharing it, that really I'm somewhat of a fraud. I can't believe that you show up. And we all have that voice inside our head that says, I'm a nothing. I'm inconsequential, I'm invisible, I'm incapable, I'm unworthy, I'm not really so good, I'm not really so talented. But that's not healthy. We're living in an age where there's an enormous spike of mental health challenges and there's a lot of children who are struggling with their own value and their own worth. And we as parents and we as educators, I think one of our core essential primary responsibilities is to build them up, is to make them feel their greatness. Now you'll say, but you know, is that really the challenge? then they'll lead to an arrogant generation, an entitled generation. So the answer is the Aleph Zeira. This insider of Zedel Epstein is exactly the marching order and the mission statement of every parent and every machanech, is to instill in our children, here's your greatness. Let me tell you your greatness, let me build you up. But your greatness brings a responsibility. Your greatness doesn't entitle you. Your greatness doesn't give you license. Your greatness is not about what you can get from it. It's what your responsibility to give. What's your duty to the world? How does your greatness position you to make a difference? What's your mission with it? And whatever your greatness is, remember it's not yours forever. It could disappear tomorrow. I don't care how wealthy someone is, the world economy can change. I don't care what a great speaker or orator you are. Kurdish Baruch Hu can, a tiny, small, little illness can take it away in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. I forgot which great rock star was on tour, the top of his game and developed a polyp or laryngitis and had to cancel his entire tour. You could wake up one morning with no voice. You could be a great singer, a great speaker, you could wake up one morning with no voice. And the examples go on and on and on, where whatever we have is on loan, it could be taken away tomorrow. Okay, that is number one, Rav Zedelepshin. Let's move over to Rav Nachman, the Heiliger of Nachman, of Breslov, and this new Sefer that I love, this beautiful Sefer, Shulchan HaShavetz with Rav Nachman. To be clear, the Sefer is not quoting Rav Nachman, the quote of the Sefer is using the teachings of Rav Nachman from Likutei Mu'aran and elsewhere, and then connecting it to the Parsha, 
or finding where Rav Nachman talks about the Parsha in those Svarim and then organize it according to the Parsha. The beginning of the book of Ayikra, it starts, it launches with how Hashem called Moshe to come to the Olmoid to give him, to transmit to him the mitzvahs. So this is what we've been talking about. Why is it a small miniature Aleph? As we've been talking about, Moshe wanted to look like chance, happenstance. A person who thinks that whatever happens to them in life is chance, is happiness. They are a victim of randomness. They're a loser, a lottery winner or a lottery loser. That they happen to be diagnosed, that they happen to lose that money that they happen to have that incident or accident happen to them. If you feel that you're a victim of randomness or chance, that what happened just was a fluke, it's very difficult to accept. It's very difficult to get through. And the person who lives life and says, it's a fluke, it's chance, it's randomness, and I don't know why I have to be the victim of it, can lead you to a life of heresy, a life of loneliness, a life of, dep- of feeling depressed and despondent. But the truth is that Hashem was the alufo, the word aluf, aleph, means the mighty, the strong, the providential, the king, the creator, the source of the world. He's nimtze b'chol makom, Hashem is everywhere and in everything. Even within that which is painful, even within that which is tragic, even in the challenging times, Hashem is there. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence, it's not a chance, it's by design, it's from above. It's not a coincidence, the small letter is the letter Aleph. The word Aleph that spells the letter Aleph, Aleph means the one and only. The one and only, the unique, distinct God, who is the Aleph Olam. He is the creator, the mighty rule of the world. How do you take the Vayikar of life? the attitude of, this was chance, this was random, this was happenstance. How do we take the Vayikar, this was chance, and we add a little Aleph, you add a little Hashem, and you say this wasn't chance, and this isn't random, and this comes from above. I'll tell you something personal, many years ago, 20 years ago now, my wife had a stillbirth, it was after our second girl, it was a stillbirth little boy, and it was a very, very challenging, very difficult, incredibly painful time. And they had no explanation, no understanding. It was almost full term. Beautiful little healthy, beautiful little baby boy. But uh, it was a stillbirth. And it's very painful, I don't need to elaborate, when they have to induce you and you have to endure labor and you have to go through all those pains and the recovery. And then your milk comes in and your body tells you you're supposed to be nursing, but there's no baby. It was an incredibly, almost unbearable time. Baruch Hashem, we've been blessed so many times over the beautiful family. And I don't say it to you for your sympathy, we're incredibly blessed. Why am I telling you this story? Because while we were going through this, you know, they did a chromosomal analysis, they did analysis of the umbilical cord, they couldn't figure out why it happened. It was no explanation. And in many ways that made it harder. There's no explanation, there's no understanding why. And it felt like a fluke. Why did this fluke happen? Why did this random thing happen? Why did this random, unexplainable, chance, happenstance, painful thing happen? And someone gave me great chizik at the time and they said, you know, when something's unexplainable and the only way to explain it is that it must be by design, when you can't attribute it to something that you could point to, when you can't attribute it to a lab result, when you can't attribute it to something that happened or went wrong or somebody's negligence, when you can't attribute it to anything, you have no choice but to say, this was by design, this was meant to be. And I have to tell you, it gave me great comfort. I remember 20 years later, I remember it profoundly, that the thought that this happened on purpose and by design and from above didn't make it less painful it was still very, very painful to endure. But it made sense. There was a framework. There was a reason. There was the ability to accept that it didn't happen for no reason. Maybe in this world we would know the reason. Maybe it won't be till the world to come that we'll meet that child. You know, when you have a stillbirth little boy, you give a bris. The Ramah and Shulchanar quotes, Yoradeya, that you give a bris to the little boy and you give a name. It's a very beautiful reason. The Ramah says because when Mashiach comes in Tchiyas HaMesim, that little boy will come back to life and you'll meet that little boy. And the little boy needs to be gemalt. The little boy needs to have a bris when they come back to life. And they need to have a name. So they know they have a name and you know what to call them when you meet them. 
This is not some hibijibim, kobol, mystical, now transfer me, wire me a lot of money. This is our Aman Shulchanach, Yerodeah. You give a bris and you give a name. So when, so, I, I somehow made this very sad in Adarshini, very sad partial perspective, but it's not sad. I'm trying to make a point of adding the little Aleph. The little Aleph, we go through moments in our life, says Rav Nachman, that feel like Vayikar. We go through these moments in our life that feel like this is just chance, this is random. Why do I randomly have to win this terrible lottery? Why does this random negative event have to happen to me? Where are you? I feel all alone and I lose my faith and it feels like Vayikar. You gotta put in the little Aleph. The little Aleph is Hashem, the one and only, the Alufo Shel Olam. We add the little Aleph to Vayikar to chance and now we give it meaning. We give it context, we gain support, and we feel that there's reason and that it makes sense. We add the little Aleph and we transform Vayikar to Vayikra. And what happens when you add the little Aleph? Kosha Zoha Lahavinzos, whoever hears this, Shamea's Kolo Shalashem Hakore Le Kolazman. When you add the little Aleph to Vayikar, when you add the little Aleph to chance and happenstance and randomness, when you add the Aleph, you get the word Vayikra that God is calling you that God is telling you something, that God is talking to you through whatever happens to you in your life. And then the question is to decipher what is he saying? What does he want from me? What is he telling me? What is he calling me? What is my calling? Throughout our lives and throughout all that occurs, Hashem's calling, come home. I wanna spend time with you. I'm talking to you. I'm communicating with you. Not everybody can hear it. Not everyone has the frequency. Not everyone owns the antenna. When Hashem spoke to Moshe in the Olmoed, Rashi tells us that even though audibly it was loud enough that potentially everyone could have heard, no one had the frequency to pick it up. Only Moshe Rabbeinu heard God speak. Everyone else was within range to pick up the sound waves. It's not that he wasn't speaking loudly enough. Hashem was whispering to Moshe. He was speaking so loudly, anyone in theory could have heard, but they didn't have the frequency to pick up the message. Sometimes Hashem speaks to us, but we have to have the level of amuna and faith. We have to be so plugged in that we could pick up the frequency. I davened at a wedding on Sunday night. I davened mincha at the wedding. We stepped outside, we made a quick minion. And the shlech tzibur was a chiv. He asked if he could lead davening, no problem. And he took out of his pocket, not a gartel, I'd never seen this before. He took out a USB charging code and tied it away on his waist as his gartel. And I thought it gave new meaning to plugging in for davening. It was a USB code. A USB code was the gartel around his waist. Interesting, innovative person has to figure out when you don't have a choice. He plugged in. So sometimes you have to be plugged in to pick up the frequency, but we turn the moments of vayikar of our life, the moments of chance and randomness and aloneness, by adding a little aleph, by putting Hashem in the picture, we turn a vayikar into vayikra. We turn feeling alone and a victim of chance into God's talking to me. God's calling me. What is God saying to me? What gives us the strength to endure, the resiliency to confront and to face whatever we have to, is to know that Hashem is with us. He's behind us, He's next to us, He's lifting us, He's holding us, He's crying with us. He's right there, the Aleph Zeira, the little Aleph, the little voice of the Aleph, the little sound of the Aleph, it's right there. It's what the Morei Naim, the Chernobyl Rebbe, says, Mishenechnas Adar, when you put when you put the Aleph into Dar, when you give Hashem a dwelling place, then you want to be happy in life? Then realize Hashem is with you everywhere and in everything. That everything is for a reason, there is meaning, there is order to the universe. Submit and surrender to Him. Aleph, the Aluf, Dar. Give Him a dwelling place here on earth. Not when you enter the calendar of Adar, but when Adar enters you when an attitude and a philosophy of Aleph Dar, when Adar enters you, Marben Basimcha, then we're gonna feel an incredible sense of, an incredible sense of joy. So that's the, that's the effort. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's our mission and our mandate. That's our responsibility. And then Marben Basimcha, so Vayikra, we're gonna get past the first word of the Parsha. 
promise. But if you look in your Chumash, the little Aleph, we're not going to get there yet because there's a lot more to say about this little Aleph, this beautiful little Aleph. Somebody should write a storybook about the little Aleph that could. But the little Aleph, the little Aleph, Moshe's compromise with Hashem, number one, Reb Zedel Epstein. Reb Nachman, number two, put the little Aleph in the Vayikar of your life and turn the Vayikar into Vayikra. Instead of feeling like a victim of chance, listen to Hashem talking to you. Listen to Hashem calling out to you. But it's up to us to put the little Aleph in. We have to put the little Aleph in. Next, Vayikra El Moshe. The Medrash Tanchuma says the following. The Medrash Tanchuma says the following. The Medrash Tanchuma says that, I don't know that we do this, I'm sure in certain Hamish schools they still do, that when children begin to learn Chumash, the first Chumash you give them is not Bracious, good stories. It's not Shmos, more good stories. Not Bamidbar, some difficult stories. Not Dvarim, great Moses Shmos. First book you learn with children is Vayikra. Time and memorial since the Torah was given, the first Sefer we give children to start learning is the book of Vayikra. Why? Because the book of Ayakra talks about Tum and Tara, purity and impurity, the Karbanos that achieve Kapara, these children, innocent and sweet and pure, before they are contaminated, we start and we learn the book of Ayakra. Yavo Hatahorim. Let those who are pure come and learn from the book of pure. So some bring down, what's the allusion to this? How do you know the Medrash Tanchuma? How do you know that you should start teaching children from the book of Vayikra? Not precious most, not amid bedvarim, but Vayikra. The Aleph Zira. Zira means a small little child. A cute, adorable little kinder. So you start teaching the children from the book of Ayikra. So I asked her, Chezkel Eliezer Khan, the Mashkiach of Gateshead, I don't understand. We said, take the pure, innocent child and teach them from the book of the pure and innocence of Kapara and Tahara. But why can't we start from Bracious and they'll get to Ayikra? I don't understand. Lama Tzarach Shetchilas Limudam Yadavka Binyanam Elu. Ikar Inyan Shilam Inyan Karbanos. The key was, before they get to the age of mitzvahs, before their bar mitzvah, they get to Vayikra. So no problem. Start from Bracious and make sure you get to Vayikra by their bar mitzvah. Why do you have to start from Vayikra to begin with? So he says, you sowed gadol. Im lo yaschilu atinokas b'chumash Vayikra, betoch zman katsar kvar yu negoim, negoim b'midam esuyemes betumas ha'olam, v'kvar lo yamdu ba'os adargas tahara shala haschala. And the answer is because when you live life even a little bit, you become contaminated, you become affected, you become corrupt. Our goal is to have them engage these sugyas and these topics while they're still innocent, before, before they become compromised or contaminated. While they're innocent is when we begin. So you take the pure child and you give them the tools and the instruments for purity, before it becomes too late. Why is this a very important Parsha perspective for today, in my opinion, in my mind? Because I think there are a lot of parents, myself included, who when our children are young, we take a lot for granted and we make a lot of assumptions. And then when they start to mature and develop and get exposed to and engage the world, and now we worry, now we try to play catch up. Now we talk about Hashem and Amuna and Mesiris Nefesh. Now we talk about Bitachon and Dveikos and Mitzvos. Now we talk about giving Hashem nachas ruach. And we're trying to play catch up when we first get the hint that we're a little bit worried. Oh, they use that expression. They want to go on that device. They have that friend. They saw this thing. Now we're trying to play catch up. It's so much harder to play catch up than it is to ingrain and imbue these values and these habits from when they're young and pure. There are so many parents who can give big lectures about the regret they have, how differently they would do things if they could do it again. Don't be that parent. If you're a grandparent, don't tell your children this. That's not your job. It's my job. But parents, young parents who are listening, young parents who are listening, we should have a panel of people who would have the courage to talk about their regrets and speak to the young parents. You know, I think it was the stipler that came in, the chazanish, and you know, a woman who was pregnant said, when do I need to start to learn about chinuch and about my children and parenting? And he said, you're too late, before you got married, when you were single. 
when we start working on ourselves and we work on the philosophy of what our home will look like and what our dining, dinner table will look like and the chinuch of how we'll get the kids into the carpool in the morning and get the homework done at night and our attitude towards Shabbos and Yontif. So it's hard to start again. It's hard to get a new beginning. But when the children are young and innocent, pure, what we ingrain within them then, the assumptions that we create within them then, the habits that we form within them then, there's nothing like it. And that's why, that's why the Aleph Zeira, start the children from Sefer Vayikra. Start them from Sefer Vayikra. There's other beautiful reasons we've spoken about in the Parsha perspectives in the past. I'll let you listen to those online. Let's keep going. Another Abzadel Epstein. Still on Pasuk Aleph, but we're moving past the opening word. Vayikra El Moshe. Good, we got that down. Vayidaber Hashem Elav. Vayikra, he called him. And then Vayidaber, he spoke. So Rashi says, Yachol Aflav Sakos Haisakriya. Maybe Hashem called him even for the break. We know the Torah is filled with breaks. Psuchos and stumos, there are pauses. Pregnant pauses within the conversation. Awkward silence. We would call it today, awkward silence. Tamad lomar vayidaber. L'dibar haisakriya v'lolav sakos. So Rashi tells us that Hashem would dictate to Moshe the Torah. He would teach Moshe. And Moshe would say, give me a minute. Let me think about that. I need to absorb that. I want to process that. I want to assimilate that knowledge into who I am. Give me a minute. So there's a small break and it continues in the same line. He needed a minute. When there's a complete break and the Torah continues in the next line, he needed more than a minute. So Rav Zezel Epstein points out, HaTorah medaberes kan al harav hagadol bebriya, Kaddish Baruch ba'atzmo. The greatest teacher of all time. Who is the greatest teacher that ever lived? Not Moshe Rabbeinu, even though he gets the name Rabbeinu. The greatest teacher, transmitter of Torah of all time is none other, of course, than Hashem. Hashem is the greatest teacher ever. And with that, with Hashem being the greatest teacher of all time, what did Moshe need? A pause some margin, a break, the capacity and the ability and the time to process. You have the greatest teacher of all time transmitting to the greatest Talmud of all time. How do you know Moshe is the greatest Talmud of all time? He went 40 days, 40 nights learning Torah with no break. Didn't eat, didn't sleep, didn't take a break for one second. And still, Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest teacher ever, the greatest student ever, still needed a moment, needed a break to amass, to assimilate, to be able to uh, listen, to accept everything that he was being taught. Says of Zedelepshtim, what do you see from here? If that's true for the greatest teacher and the greatest student, how much more true is true for us? And has there ever been a generation that needed this more than we do? We're living in this hyper, super speed, sonic speed generation. We never pause for anything. We never absorb any conversation we had because we're already onto the next conversation. We've pressed play on the next podcast. We're watching the next news. We're onto the next event, conversation. We're living in such super speed, we don't build in the margin that even Moshe Rabbeinu needed. You learn a daf yomi, you fly through the daf, you close the gemara, you pick up the next daf that you fly through the next day. Do we stop and absorb? Do we create the space and the margin to think and to be? If Moshe Rabbeinu needed it, how much more so we need it, build in that margin, give ourselves that space, it's so critical. I've shared you before, in publishing, in books, remember what those things are, the paper, the things that you hold in your books. In books, there's white space around the page. Why? You can make the page shorter, you'd save more money, you could still charge the same price. If you had the ink go from the edge to the other edge, from the top to the bottom, why is there margin in publishing? There's margin in publishing because your eye couldn't take it. No one would read a book that didn't have margin. You cannot. Why is there space between the lines and between the words? Because our eyes and our minds were designed to need margin in order to accumulate, absorb, in order to be able to accept and assimilate what we're reading into who we are, we need margin. And what's true physically, graphically, is true spiritually. We need margin in our lives. Even in a conversation, you know? Let me think about that for a second. That's so interesting. Let me think about that. Do we ever do that? We're just, when the other person's speaking, we're just preparing our response. And while we're responding, they're preparing their response. Do we ever stop and say, it's so interesting, let me think about that for a second. Let me think. Maybe you're right. Maybe you've changed my way of thinking. Or maybe you've taught me something new. Let me think. We don't make that time or space to think. Moshe, the greatest student, who had the greatest teacher, nevertheless needed to think. 
We need to give ourselves the space and the time, and we need to make sure that we think as well. Rabbi Yerucham, moving right along. Rabbi Yerucham, of the Mir, the great Rabbi Yerucham. The Medrash says, I love this Medrash we've spoken about it at length in the Parsha perspective, Shir in the past. We're not going to analyze it at length again. You should listen. Some great insight from Rafutner. But the Medrash says, you see from here, A Talmud Chacham who doesn't have Da'as, a putrid rotten carcass is better than him. That's a pretty low, that's a pretty low statement. It's a pretty, the kids would say that's a pretty big diss. I haven't heard kids use it yet. Maybe we'll introduce it. You know? You want to say something to someone else? You're more putrid than a rotting carcass. Don't try it at home. I don't recommend it. But that's what the Medrash, that's what Chazal say. You see from here that a Talmud Chacham, a great Torah scholar, She'ein Bodas, who lags Das, is worse than a rotting putrid carcass. You see from Moshe Moshe, the greatest human that ever lived. Moshe, the catalyst of salvation for the Jewish people. Moshe, through his hand, countless miracles occurred. And yet, and yet, and he brought the Torah down from the heavens and gave it. And he's the one who orchestrated the building of the Mishkan. And yet, with all that pedigree, with all that resume, with all that on his CV, can you imagine Moshe's resume? Yeah, I just, I saved them from Egypt, brought about 10 plagues, split the sea, went up the mountain, came down with the Torah, orchestrated the greatest moment of revelation of all time, architect and helped build the Mishkan. And now, with that, Moshe can't go in without knocking. Lo nichnas He doesn't go in until Vayikra Moshe. He waits outside the Oamoid until God says, Moshe, I'm ready, come in. So the measure says, you see from here, what do you see? What is Das? What is Das in this context? What is Das? What is Das? Rabbi Yerucham says, it's not just that Moshe has all of that on his resume. It's not just that Moshe did all of those things. And if anyone had the right to have the confidence to enter without being asked, it's Moshe. It's not only that he did all those things, the Medrash leaves out one last description, says Rav Yerucham. Moshe Rabbeinu is b'chol beisi ne'emanhu. God himself says, I love you. I love you. You're a ben biased by me. You're Moshe, you're everything. You're the most trustworthy, reliable, dependable. So Moshe, who's the ben bias at Hashem, b'chol beisi ne'emanhu, this Moshe needs to wait outside? This Moshe Rabbeinu needs to wait outside? And the Medrash says, It means, if Moshe abruptly entered, he didn't wait to be invited in. If Moshe just casually walked in because he felt like he belonged, you know what would have happened? Done. His legacy would have been over. He would have been considered a rotten, putrid, horrific, malodorous carcass. Really? Walking in the old Moed without being invited? would undo and negate all the positive he had accomplished because he forgot to wait till he was invited in and he just walked in because he felt like he belonged. It would undo and negate 10 plagues, splitting of a sea, redeeming a people, bringing a Torah, building a Mishkan, and so on and so forth. Says Rav Yerucham, yes. One moment of a failure of Derech One moment of a breakdown of a common courtesy could undo an entire legacy. You don't walk into a home without your ass. You don't walk in without knocking. According to Rabbi Yerucham, what does it mean? What is das in this context? Das means Derecheretz. Just like the Mishnah Navos talks about. Torah im Derecheretz. Das. You have to have Derecheretz, common courtesy. If Moshe would have walked in, the failure, you could be the biggest Tamachacham in the world. You didn't hold the door for someone, there goes your whole legacy. You could be the biggest Tamachacham on the planet. You didn't say please and thank you. You didn't leave a tip. You weren't honest. You lost your whole legacy. I've shared before, but I'll quickly share again because it bears repeating. Ravara Lichtenstein has an article that's called, With No Das, There's No Das Torah. The whole concept of Das Torah. Is there an infallibility of the rabbis? Das Torah. 
When rabbis say something, are they always right? Das Torah, do we believe in Das Torah? The infallibility of, of rabbanim, of rabbis. Do we believe in Das Torah? I'll tell you, our fly into New York two weeks ago, we met with one of the Mwatsas Gedolia Torah, who are the biggest proponents of Das Torah in the world. And when one of the members of Archevra asked him, how do I understand to reconcile people who are Gedolia Yisrael, Yush Tamite Chachamim, who've been on the wrong side of certain issues I care about, whether it's Corona and others. And I was shocked. This enormous Gadol on the Mwatsas Gedolia Torah, the body that most stands for, the biggest proponent of Das Torah said, who told you that he's not wrong? He was incredible. Who told you that, that that person's not wrong? They're wrong. They had bad information, they came to the wrong conclusion, and they're wrong. Who told you? He was like so upset at the person who asked it from our side. You think Das Torah means that he's not wrong? Yeah, if someone said something, he's on the wrong side of an issue, be it corona, be it abuse, be it whatever the topic is, they're flat out wrong. They're wrong. Being a huge Tamachacham doesn't give you infallibility. Das Torah means that the people who have Torah have a perspective, have a vision, that we gain their insight, that we defer to their judgment, that we ask for their judgment when we come to our conclusion, but it doesn't create an infallibility. So Rav Lichtenstein Zatzal in that article says that if you don't have Das, you can't have Das Torah. And why does he say that? Because he writes a story. His Rebbe was Rav Zatzal. And he tells he went to go pay a shiva call to Rav and Rafutner turned to Rav Lichtenstein, his Talmud, and he said at the end of that shiva call, he said, you know, just here before you was a great Rosh Hashiva, a huge Tamachacham. And he was trying to comfort me by telling me why it's good that I lost my loved one and I'm lucky to have him for so long, and just really moronic comments, unhelpful, painful comments. So Rafutner turned to Rav Lichtenstein and he said, the Medjur says, Kol Tamachacham Shein Bodas Nevela Tova Imenu. Listen carefully, said Rafutner. It doesn't say bodas. It doesn't say when you have an ignoramus who doesn't have common sense. It says that Tamar Chacham who lacks common sense. You could be the world's biggest Tamar Chacham and have no common sense. Being a Tamar Chacham doesn't mean you have common sense. You could be a super genius. You could have the greatest Torah knowledge encyclopedic in the world. You could be the biggest Tamar Chacham. But Ein Bodas if you have no common sense, Nevela Tovahimenu. You're worse than a Nevela. You know why you're worse than a Nevela? Because by being a Tamachacham, people expect you to have the greatest das. You should have the most common sense. You should come to the most sensical conclusions. And when you don't, you're worse than a putrid, rotten corpse. So Rebbe he said, he might be a big Tamachacham, but ain't bodas person who came in right before you. And then Rebbe writes this article. Maybe, maybe not, we believe in Das Torah, but I'll tell you this, if you have no Das, you're not a source of Das Torah. You could be a huge Tamachacham, but if you have no Das, if you're on the wrong side of really obvious, critical issues, if you have no Das, you could be a big Tamachacham, but you have no Das Torah. So if Yerucham says Das here means mitos, if Moshe Rabbeinu had walked in without knocking, without being said, without Hashem saying, no, Meshulah, come in, he called him Meshulah, without saying come in, then he would have lost his entire legacy. This is Moshe Rabbeinu, the greatest human being that ever lived. But one time walking in without being called, he would have lost it all. That's how important common sense, common courtesy, that's how important Derech is. Okay, let's keep going. We're going to get past the first Pasuk too, I promise. Right, Moshe was called many names, Rashi, the Medrash tells us here in the beginning of Vayikra. What does God call him? Vayikra El Moshe. The Medrash right here at the beginning of Vayikra Rabbah says, Esr Shemus Nikra Moshe. Moshe has 10 names. Moshe has 10 names. I love nicknames. I give all my kids nicknames. Each of my kids has at least 10 nicknames. We all call them at least 10 different names. Shai, Shmelki, Shaiki, Shmoli, Surli. They all have 10 names. Moshe Rabbeinu had 10 names. Yered, Chaver, Yikusiel, Avigdor, Avisocha, Avizanuach. He had 10 names. And then the Medrash goes through and tells us how he got each of those names. What did each of those names stand for? Yered, Shehorid, is a Torah, Mata. Yered, because he brought the Torah from above, down below. Avigdor, Aviyem, Shel Godrim. Chever, Shekichi, Beres, Abanul, Aviyem, Shabashamayim. Chever, because he created a connection between children and our Father in heaven. Avisocha, each of these names. Amal, Akadosh Baruch, Moshe. Hashem says to Moshe, Chayecha, Mikol Shemush, Shiesh Lecha, of all the names that you have, 
You know which name I'm going to call you? Vayikra'el Moshe. Now, Moshe got his different names from different people, including among them, the Ribbono Shlom himself. One of his names was bestowed upon him by God. But God says, you know, instead of using my name for you, you know what I'm going to universally do and get everyone to universally do? We will singularly use the name, not that I gave you, says God, not that your parents gave you at your bris. You know what name we're going to give you and use for you? The name that, She called him Moshe, and God says, The question is why? Chaim Shmulevitz, or Shiva the Mir, Chaim Shmulevitz wonders, why? God defers? Shouldn't we defer to God? Our names are mere mortal names. Our names are original human creations. God's name is a omniscient name. Shouldn't we defer and use the name that God gave, not the name that Bisya Batparo, it's Bisya, not Basya, that Bisya Basparo gave? This non-Jewish princess, we're using her name? Says Rechaim Shmulevitz, an incredible insight. We're running out of time, so I'm not going to read it to you inside. Why did she give him the name Moshe? Batikrashma Moshe. Go back to Shmos, the second parak. She calls him Moshe. Why? Ki min hamayim mishisiu. Because I took him out of the water. Mishisiu Moshe. Moshe min hamayim was b'mesiris nefesh atzuma shel bisya. Bisya risked everything to take Moshe out of the water. First of all, she risked her life. She reached far beyond where it was safe to be. She could have drowned and died. She brought a Jewish baby into the palace of her father. This little baby would be his greatest adversary of all time. Bisya displayed, she demonstrated enormous mysterious nefesh. She took tremendous risk to stand for what was right, to have conviction. And she instilled in Moshe, because a name is a description. A name is not a label, a name is a description. And by giving that name, she actually helped form and forge a man whose life would be characterized by Mesiris Nefesh. She helped define him with a name, and she gave him Mesiris Nefesh. So says Rechaim Shmulevitz in Sichus Musar, he says that's why the name that we use is not the name from Hashem, it's the name of Bisya, in order to elevate this quality of Mesiris Nefesh. We see how important, we see how core, we see how critical. The willingness to compromise, to sacrifice, to make an effort. And I would argue I have in the past, previous partial perspectives, but I'll tell it to you again. You know why I think we start from Vayikra? The Aleph Zeira, the little Kinderlach. Why do we start in the Cheder with a little Vayikra? Sefer Vayikra, Parshas Vayikra. You know why we start teaching children from there? Because what is the essence, what is the essential theme of the book of Vayikra? The offering of sacrifices. You know, today children want the world feels sacrifice. Why should I sacrifice? I want to be happy. I deserve to be happy. I'm entitled to be happy. What do I get? What's my entitlement? What are my rights? How can the world serve me? The idea that sacrifice, the breakdown in marriage is horrific. The growing friction and divorce within the firm community in marriages is disastrous because we're a product of our environment and of our greater culture and we're living in a time which is all about, you know why I got married? Because you're gonna make me happy. What you're gonna do for me the pleasure and joy you're going to give me, how fulfilled I will be. But whoever told someone getting married, it's about their happiness. Whoever told you you get married to be happy, you get married to make someone else happy. And you know what? There's nothing in the world that will make you happier. Nothing will make you feel more fulfilled than completing the other person. When you have two people who are each committed to make the other happy, you have a happy marriage. Two people ready to compromise and sacrifice and give in and cave and submit because they want the other person to be happy, you'll have the happiest marriage in the world. When you have two people who are in it to be happy, then you're gonna have a lot of friction and a very quick divorce. Whoever told you your life for your happiness? Life is about duty and responsibility and obligation and mission and giving. And it happens to be, all studies will show you that when you live life in that way, you're the happiest person alive. And when you live life for your own happiness, you're the most miserable person around. Whoever said? So I think that's why we start with children with Sefer Vayikra. You think learning Torah is all about Kishmak to be a Yid? It's Kishmak to be a Yid. The wedding I told you the other night, that Mincha, there was a point during the dancing where the band was playing Kishmak to be a Yid. 
And these young men, I happen to be on that side of the dance floor, these young men were jumping and bopping and hopping and bouncing, and you know, they slowed down the beat, Gishmak and they're jumping and jumping, and I, I wanted to video it, but I missed it. Because my heart skipped a beat. I actually had a tear in my eye, and I said, wow, I have such confidence in the future of Klai Yisrael. When a room packed with young men are jumping up and down and singing to how great it is to be a Jew. It's great to be, Gishmak to be a Yid. Getting emotional now, even just telling it to you. It gives you faith in our future to see young people, Gishmak to be a Yid. And it is Gishmak to be a Yid. It is so Gishmak to be a Yid. But Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av, it's not so Gishmak to be a Yid. And cleaning for Pesach, it's not so Gishmak to be a Yid. And when bad things happen to good people, it's not so Gishmak to be a Yid. And if we only sing Gishmak to be a Yid, and we don't also teach children, Shvetz is ein Yid, that when the tuition invoice comes for your kid's school, nobody's singing Gishmak to be a Yid. It's not so Gishmak to be a Yid. When the prices of meat and chicken for Pesach are about to go up, it's not so Gishmak to be a Yid. When the price per pound for Shmura Matzah comes out, it's not so Gishmak to be a Yid. We can't only sing Gishmak to be a Yid, we also have to learn Sefer Vayikra. We have to start with the Aleph Zeira. We also have to teach, you have to sacrifice. Your marriage, your finances, and your life are going to take sacrifice. So we start from Sefer Vayikra. That's where we begin from. And that's what Bisya names Moshe. And Hashem says, of all your ten names, including the one I myself gave you, put them on a shelf. We're not using those names. You know which name we're going to use and give? We're using the name Moshe. Minamaya Mishisu, Bisya Basparo, Mesiris Nefesh. Because that's what Kal Yisrael need. Where would we be and who would we be if we didn't have Mesiris Nefesh? Do you know that after Eli Beer spoke here this Shabbos describing what United Hatzalah is doing in Ukraine, and there are so many worthy organizations, whether it's United Hatzalah or others, an email just went out with a list of ones you can give to, all of us have to be doing as much as we can. I'll tell you something amazing. Do you know how many phone calls I got on Sunday? I didn't tell you this, Ma. You know how many phone calls I got Sunday? Not from people who said, how can I give money, which were many, but who said, how can I go to Moldova? I want to help. Not doctors and PAs and nurses, not medical personnel, people. I'd like to drop what I'm doing and go and help. That's Mesiris Nefesh. I'd like to go to the border of a war zone to live in not pleasant conditions, to leave my family and take off from work to go and help Jews who are fleeing, who are refugees. Mesiris Nefesh. If we don't imbue that within ourselves and the next generation, we're finished. Because the only thing that got us until now, the only thing, because we could wave it off. It's too hard. When it's not Kishmak to be a Yid, I'll stop being a Yid. And that'll be the end of our story of our people. Mesiris Nefesh is key. We don't celebrate, we don't live and long to be Moser Nefesh, but you better be sure to be ready when we're called upon. That's what Bisya names him Moshe, and that's Vayikra, the small Aleph, and that's where we begin the pedagogy, the education of our children begins with the willingness to sacrifice, the willingness to give, the willingness to be counted among the global campaign. BRSonline.org slash global. Do you give? Do you sacrifice? You say, but I want that money because I want another triple caramel latte Starbucks. I want it because I want to go out to eat one more time. I want it, but do you give? You love the Parsha class. You laugh, you cry, you laugh with, you laugh at. I don't know, but you enjoy. You enjoy enough to come, a cup of coffee. Beautiful. We love that you're here. We love that you're listening online, listening offline. Are you counted among those who give? Baruch Hashem, over 400 people have given so far to the global campaign. We're at, I don't know, 70-something thousand dollars. It's a great start, but we're not even halfway where we need to be to continue to produce, to share, to stream, to make available everything we do. So it's simple. We can't do it without your help. Be Moser Nefesh. Be like Moshe. Here's the good news. Not asking anyone to go to Moldova. Not asking anyone to risk their life in the river to save a little baby. Asking you to do something for that for some is even more painful, which is reach into your wallet. That's it. For United Hatzalah, for Ukraine, for B that should be the priority. BRS Global is second right now. It should be a priority for all of us. Any other campaign is secondary to saving these Jewish lives. But everybody, to reach in, to dig deep, and to do a little bit like we can. Like we can. Okay. Let's move on. Kotsk. Kotsker. We've got to do a Kotsker. Go to Kotsker is Perak Aleph Pasuk Zion. Ooh, we're turning pages. Don't get whiplash. Page 548. Perak Aleph Pasuk Yud Zayin. 
ושיסה עושו בכנפיו לא יבדיל, והקטיר עושו הכהן המזבח על העצם, אשר על איש אלוהו ישרח ניחוח להשם. פסק says, we're here talking about the קורבן עולה, from an oaf, a bird עולה offering, right? The opening of Aker is where we spend all of our time, that's the beautiful uplifting, then we get into the details of the קורבנות. Excuse me, a little bit more complicated, a little bit more challenging. But here's a beautiful פסק, that tells us that he split it with its feathers, and you need not sever it. The coin causes it to go up and smoke on the altar, on the wood. It's an elevation offering, a fire offering. It is a reach nichoach l'ashem. Zok the heilige Kotzker. Says the holy Kotzker Rebbe, Rashi. Nemar ba'of reach nichoach, v'nemar ba'behema reach nichoach. You know, it describes that the wealthy, rich person who brings a whole animal, who brings the pastrami or the corned beef, the first cut, first cut pastrami, is that what it's called, corned beef? The person who brings the most expensive cut of meat, when it rises in smoke, it's described as a reach nichoach for Hashem. It's a beautiful, pleasant aroma for Hashem. And the person who couldn't afford the meat, the person who couldn't buy the brisket, and just offers a little chicken wing, when it burns, it also produces a reach nichoach for Hashem. Says Rashi, Lomar Lacha teaches us, Echad amarba ve'echad amambit, uvevad she'echavin libo l'shemayim. Whether you're bringing something that costs a lot or you're bringing something that costs a little, for Hashem it's equally pleasing as long as Yechaven libol Hashemayim. Is your heart in it? Rachmana libaboy. Hashem wants your heart. Hashem wants your sincerity. Hashem wants your mindfulness and your presence. Hashem wants you to be personally invested. Don't go through some superficial, external, empty act. Don't just mail it in. Don't get away with the bare minimum. As long as you're sincere and you're heartsig and you're giving yourself and you're all, whether it's marba or mamet, whether you're big, something big expensive or small and modest. So says the Kotzker. For whom is that expression? Why do we share that observation? So my, my instinct would have told me that we're sharing that for whom? For the poor person. Even though your mamit, even though all you're bringing is the little, just the little inexpensive chicken wing, as long as your mechavin libo don't feel bad. It produces a reach nichoach, as good as the aroma, as the brisket smoking for 24 hours. Says the Kutzker, but you're wrong. This teaching is not going, is not directed to the poor person. Koy al hamarbe, shesover shemevi korban gadol, See, the poor person humbly and modestly says, Hashem, here I am, your, your lowly poor servant. I wish I could buy a whole cow. I wish I could serve you a bull. I wish I could smoke a brisket in your honor. But all I could do is afford a little chicken wing. All I could afford is the dark meat, not even the white meat. But I'm offering it to you with everything I've got, Hashem. I'm giving you everything of myself. I'm sacrificing and slaughtering this little chicken it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, it's not a brisket, it's nothing. But it's the best I can do. The poor person humbly and modestly knows they're giving their heart. But the rich person says, Hashem, look at me, I'm smoking brisket. Smoking brisket with an 18-year-old bottle of a single malt. Look at me, look what I'm giving you. That's what the Torah says. You think because you could afford and you're bringing all that? You think because your Shabbos Ayyantif table looks like that? You think you're better, you're holier. You think your aroma that comes up to Hashem smells better. The reach nichawach is just like your neighbor who's eating chicken wings for Shabbos lunch, who all they could afford is some chicken. Your reach nichawach is no better. So it's such a kutzker, such a kutzker. Hamarva may be par tzarch yoser azhara. The wealthy rich person who's bringing the whole ox needs a greater warning. Bimachavin libol Hashemayim. He thinks, ah, Hashem loves me, and Hashem forgives me, and I'm close to Hashem because look how beautiful my brisket is. Ah, my neighbor, good luck to you with your little chicken wings. My brisket's getting me right into heaven. Hashem says, you know, the chicken wings got the fast pass. Brisket, get in line. Let me make sure your heart's in it, Mr. Brisket. You're the one I need to make sure my heart's in it. All right, last, I'm leaving out 10 insights. Not exaggerating, I'm leaving out 10 insights. But let's go to one last one, because I saw a beautiful from Rav Ruvain Feinstein. <coughs> I am leaving out 10. I have no idea how to pace myself. Doing this for 20 years, I don't know how to pace myself. 
Okay, hopefully in, in 20 more years I'll learn. So the end of our parsha, Perakei Pasuk Yudches. One page if you want to see it inside. Perakei Pasuk Yudches is page 564. A guilt offering in a case of doubt. What happens if a person is not sure they did an Avera? Till now the parsha has been talking about, you know that you did an Avera. You know you made a mistake, you know you crossed the boundary, you know you violated an indiscretion. Here's your way back, here's your way out. Here's how you achieve atonement and kapara. What happens if you're not sure? So the Torah says, You bring a ram, an unblemished. Kohen atones for him from the inadvertent transgression that he inadvertently transgressed and he didn't know and he shall be forgiven. Pasuk Rav Ruven Feinstein writes a beautiful new Chumash, Nahor Shalom from Rav Ruven, Shlita. In certain circumstances, one is unsure if he inadvertently transgressed a prohibition that carries kares, if he had done it intentionally, he or she must bring an asham taloi, a special korban called an asham taloi. An asham taloi means it's a korban asham if I need it. Any golfers here? Not willing to admit it. One, come on. In golf, there's something called a provisional. What's a provisional? You're on the tee and you hit a golf ball. And what happens? You slice, you hooked, there's water. You're not quite sure if you're gonna find that ball. You hit the ball, it's not straight down the fairway. It might've gone in the woods, it's maybe in the lake. You're not sure you're gonna find it. So the rule is you're supposed to hit a provisional. What's the provisional? If you find your first ball, you play your first ball. If you don't find your first ball, you had hit that provisional, that now becomes your new ball. It's called a provisional. You're not sure whether you'll find your ball or not, so you hit a provisional. Lahavdil. This is a provisional korban. You're not sure you made a mistake. You're not sure you violated something. You have to bring a provisional korban. It's called an asham taloi. If at a later point it becomes clear that in fact the sin was committed, then you have to bring a chatas. Now your asham taloi didn't cut it, your provisional. Now you got to bring a chatas. The value of the asham taloi must be at least two slaim. Why do we find this minimum amount specifically regarding one who must bring an asham? So there are two ideas that come to mind when addressing this question, says Rav Ruvain. The first is the approach of the Baal Musar. And that is that a person should not adopt the attitude that simply because he's unsure if he sinned, nothing happened. Right? Maybe you'll casually say, I'm not sure I did anything wrong. Let's go with I didn't. <laughs> I'm not sure I made a mistake. Let's just assume I didn't. For a growing person, a sincere person, that's not the conclusion. People have a habit of reflecting on their actions and saying, I'm not even entirely sure if I sinned in the first place. We rationalize our behavior by saying, I'm not even sure I did anything wrong. I'm not even sure it was like that. I'm not even sure I crossed the line. I'm not even sure it was Shabbos. I'm not even sure. But this is untrue. Sin, even inadvertent sin, is a serious matter. The fact that even one who's unsure if he transgressed a sin must seek atonement with an offering that is a minimum value is a call to attention of the gravity of sin. So the reason we have this thing called the provisional korban, an asham taloi, says Rav Urvain, is to instill in us, don't be flippant when it comes to the possibility you made a mistake. If there's a possibility you made a mistake, don't rationalize and justify and assume you didn't. Don't be flippant about it. Take it seriously, because mistakes are serious business. But then he quotes from his father, the Rosh Hashiva Zetzal, Rav Moshe. He said the very fact that a person can find himself in a situation where he doesn't remember the details pertaining to a sin is itself worthy of criticism. It's one thing to not know a halacha, to lose sight of what's important, and not treat the laws with the proper attention they deserve. But to wander around in one's own life, oblivious to the physical details of his own actions, is a far more serious issue. A person needs to be cognizant of his every action. His journey through life is a string of actions that reflect right and wrong. The service of Hashem and Rahman is on the opposite. A person ought to be so afraid of the possibility of sinning that he'll never lose track of what he did. Because he was not careful to pay attention to his actions on this level, this person ended up unsure if he committed a sin. I'm not sure what I ate. I don't remember if I made a bracha. I don't know if it was Shabbos. Says Rabbi Moshe, the reason you bring a korban is not because you can't be flippant about sin, but because it is a sin. To live a life that you don't even know what you did is a sin. You don't bring the korban because maybe you did a sin. You bring the korban because you did do a sin. And what was the sin? The sin was living mindlessly. When you mindlessly walk through life and you're not even aware of what you did, you don't know what you ate, you don't know what time it is, you don't know the action that you took, you don't remember what you said. If you could live a life, you're mindlessly not even remembering what you did, 
that in itself is a sin. So you're not bringing the provisional korban in case you sinned. The very fact that you don't remember if you sinned is a sin. And that's the machayev of the Ashim Taloi. I thought such a magnificent insight of Rav Moshe. The good news is next year's Parshas Vayikra Shir is fully prepared. It's got 10 insights ready to go on it. This week is Parshas Zachor too. For the women who live here, the Shabbos, we have a fantastic women's Kiddush and women's Shir after davening for Parshas Zachor. So you can hear a special reading of Zachor if you're not in time for the first reading. Women's Kiddush, women's Shir, grateful to Talia. Do not leave today without seeing her. Here's the rule on your way out. If you're a BRS member, walk right by her. Say hello, but walk right by her. If you've already given to the global campaign, walk right by her. Say hello and keep walking. If you've not yet contributed, but you enjoyed this year, she's right in the back. Don't walk right by her. Do your part and give. Have a fantastic day. See you next week. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy.